Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. All right, welcome back uh, with the Ohioan. And, you know, some people say, man, you guys talk about COVID too much. Well, we're in a pandemic, and, you know, there's always news breaking with COVID, and we got to talk about it. Um, recently, we kind of teased the story. Um, there is a study uh, down, I believe it's in Southern Ohio, uh, where th- they are starting to test the vaccine for COVID. Uh, for kids as young as five. And they said, hey, this could possibly be available by late summer. And I'll tell you, I didn't get a chance to talk to my wife about this yet. Um, we're both vaccinated. She's fully vaccinated. I'm, I'm halfway vaccinated. Uh, next one's scheduled about a week and a half. But we're not sure. We have an eight-year-old and a 14-year-old. And we get a little nervous with autism. Uh, both of them have and everything. What's the best thing for them to do? So... I'm. I, I like the idea. I mean, the vaccine is not going to totally take away uh, <clears throat> our chances of getting COVID, but to help mask it and help bring that percentage down, I'm pro vaccine. Uh, we may have to sit this next one out just based on having kids with autism. Um, Craig, in general, I know autism is kind of a exception, but in general, are, are you okay with five year olds getting the, the vaccine? Well, you know, I think it's going to be up to every individual family. Um, I'm not really opposed to it. You know, I think a lot, I just, my, my fear right now, I think, is after what happened with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine being put on pause, especially in Ohio, I think I think a lot of people might be skeptical about giving it to their kids. Um, and, and I think we need to temper that with just saying that there have been six cases that have stood out among millions of vaccines from that, you know, particular vaccine. So um, I guess we'll just have to see how the trials go with the kids. It looks like Cincinnati is going to be participating in these clinical trials, which is pretty unique. Um, You know, we don't usually see a lot of publicity about where these clinical trials have been, you know, administered. So I, you know, I think it's going to be up to each individual family. Um, I don't know that if I had kids that age that I would want them to, to get it, you know, without really knowing the science is trusted and proven. So I can understand why people would maybe want to, you know, push the pause button on getting it themselves, you know, having their children get it before knowing a little bit more about, you know, how these trials have gone and, and if everything kind of seems to be safe. Yeah. I think the one thing that people need to realize I I'm watching yeah, I'm even looking at this story here with the Cincinnati Inquirer. You know, there's some kids saying, hey, I might not be able to wear my mask anymore. Well, from what I understand, you know, once you're immunized, you still need to take precautions. You still need to 
social distance. You still need to wear a mask because, again, this doesn't mean you can do whatever and not get COVID. This just means, hey, you know, you don't stand as quite a big of a chance. And then if you do get COVID, you're a lot less likely to end up on a ventilator or, you know, dead, you know. Right. Um, So, yeah, but I, I think that's the thing that we all forget sometimes. They would sit there and say, man, once we're fully vaccinated, hey, you know, we can do whatever, you know. I mean, yeah. this is just a precaution, as, you know, we've talked about and we've heard about in the media. It might be only six months. We may have to get booster shots and everything. Right. Um, you know, I compare this, when I'm talking to the family about, hey, was this like when measles first came and smallpox? It's probably it's going to be a lot worse than measles and smallpox. But you think about, you know, back then when it first came, that was a lot more scarier. They figured it out. Well, COVID seems to be a little bit more trickier. And remember, we're still trying to figure this out. Um, we're in the middle of researching what this is. This disease came up, you know, and we can argue about where it originated. But before it originated, we had no idea about COVID. So, I mean, a lot of this research that you see in the media each day, it's research that's happening real time, you know. So, right. um, we're impatient, but, you know, be patient. I, I think... And let's trust doctors. I mean, when they're doing these testing, I know that even with the vaccines that we're getting now, they're saying, hey, they're emergency use. There is a little bit of a chance that you take. And, you know, recent news about Johnson Johnson, there is a risk. I mean, you know, I think that was evidence about what happened there. But I would imagine, especially with kids, yeah, it's not 100% no risk, but they're going to do their darndest to make sure, you know, that risk is very small, if at all. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are already anti-vaxxers as it is. And, you know, a lot of these people are people that were vaccinated themselves, but maybe over the years they've believed or come to the realization that they think, you know, vaccinations can cause autism and things like that, even though there have been no studies to show that that's true. There are people that that shy away from vaccines as it is, and this is probably just going to be another one added to that group of people's list that just they're not going to get it simply because they don't get other vaccines. So, you know, I don't know, you know, let's say 50 or 60 percent of the population actually want the vaccine or have gotten the vaccine you're probably going to see fewer numbers amongst children because some of these parents are just going to be even more skeptical when it comes to their kids. So um, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what sort of the, the demand for, you know, this vaccination is among, you know, kids at this point, not that the kids have a decision on whether or not they want it or not. That's kind of irrelevant because they're not the decision makers here, but I'm kind of curious to see, you know, sort of what their overall numbers are. Yeah, yeah, and I would imagine, too, and I think overall government has done a decent job of this, but, you know, we're, especially when it comes to vaccine for kids, you know, work up a frequently asked question sheet, you know, maybe do a test on a kid that has autism. Try to answer some of the questions that are going to be coming up. And, right. and I would make the argument to say, okay, you're right, there's anti-vaxxers who – no matter what information you got there, they're not going to want the vaccine. Well, make it where you say, hey, here's the information. Do what you want with it. And then my challenge to those who are anti-vaxxers is stop spreading conspiracy theories. Just take information for its worth. If you don't want it, if you don't want to give it to the kid, 
fine. I mean, you, it's your right. You're, it's, we're America. You can pick what you want. But let's stop with conspiracy theories. That's the thing that just gets very right. to our country. So I don't know. And I'm, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, I know Nationwide does a great job here in Columbus. Uh, Cincinnati has a really good reputation, too. And it kind of encourages me to see that they're kind of involved in the research, too. And uh, you're right. You know, sometimes we don't hear early about the research, but I'm hoping if we're already seeing stories about the research being done, hopefully we'll hear more before it's ready. Uh, they are talking in the story saying it's possible, possibly by late summer. So I'm reading that to say, hey, at the earliest late summer, you might see a vaccine in the <laughs> Uh, they are trying to kind of adjust Pfizer, and by that, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, just think of the medicine you give your kids. Obviously, a kid's not going to need as potent of a medicine as adults might. So I would assume they're just testing to see what percentage of a Pfizer vaccine you would use. There's obviously not going to give a full-blown adult dose to a kid. So. Right. Yeah, it should be interesting. Scary stuff, but the alternative is scary too. I mean, you know, all kids get sick and potentially die. So, I don't know. Um, 3,000, yeah. And, you know, my hat goes off to these parents. I mean, you, you know, I we could talk another hour or two about would you have your kid be tested? I mean, because, you know, they're they're doing testing on kids and you know, I could talk about, hey, am I comfortable having my kid go through the vaccine? Man, how much trust would parents have to have to have their kids go through the testing process? You know, right? No, absolutely. That's those parents. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, it's kind of a unique situation because, you know, especially when you find out that you know the initial surge of vaccines is is certainly not for anybody under the age of 16. Now, obviously, we're well aware that they've had children uh, trials last year, and 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 now they are are really fully getting into it this year. So, obviously, they've been working on a children's vaccine since they've been working on an adult vaccine. But you know, obviously, you know, as a parent, you've got to be like, well, why can't 16 and under take this vaccine? Why is it just for adults? So. You know, kudos to the parents that have decided that they want to get involved with this because, you know, even though children may not have, you know, a fatal reaction to COVID, you know, there have been plenty of cases where kids have gotten COVID and maybe they still experience, um, you know, issues with COVID, whether it's breathing problems or, you know, just whatever it may be, you know, cardiac issues. Uh, so I think, it, you know, the alternative, to, uh, which is getting a vaccine is probably still more beneficial than taking the chance that your child may be one of those people that, you know, grows up to have lifelong issues with breathing or cardiac, you know, issues. So, you know, I can understand why a lot of parents would want to jump in on this. Yeah, it should be interesting. And Melissa, what do you think? I mean, man, this this one's a tough issue. I mean, I can definitely see both sides to it. Melissa, what do you think? Yeah, you think it's okay for vaccines be available for kids? Um, you know, the risk, everything we hear, the risk for kids isn't quite as high as your grandma, for example, but there is a risk out there. So 
let me know. Let us know what you think about. Is it cool to have vaccines for kids that are five? Would you let your child give a vaccine? Um, yeah, I'll tell you, Craig. It's getting real. You know, it just uh, that would kind of stop me, and I'm not against it. But uh, you know, again, with an eight and a fourteen year old here, it kind of makes you think. I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like, wow, I'm not sure what to do. So I'm, I'll definitely be reading up on it. And again, what another good reason to support local journalism? I mean, my goodness, uh, it's happening in our backyard in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, Cincinnati.com. Uh, just, you know, just a great place to get information. Uh, check out their website. I mean, this stuff is happening. You need to know about it. what better place to doing it Cincinnati.com. All right, thanks, Craig. We will be back soon with another segment. As always, thanks for checking out the Highland. Have a good one. Hey, everybody. Craig Schaub here with the Ohioan Podcast, and this is an Ohioan Weekend Reviews. So this week we're going to do a little bit uh, differently than normal. We're going to have one full segment of multiple reviews, and this week I'm going to be looking at some animated uh, favorites and then also uh, introducing a newer segment. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the free stuff that's out there that you can stream without having to pay for uh, a subscription of any kind. But first we're going to start with the movie Soul. Now this came out Christmas Day on uh, Disney Plus it is a the latest Pixar uh, event film. Pixar has had a, a great tradition dating back now more than 25 years, essentially, of great animated filmmaking. Not just beautiful to look at, but also they've had a very great, great tradition of, of just great films. And I have to tell you, after watching Soul, I finally watched it now after a few months, and I wish I would have watched it even sooner. Um, obviously, it's uh, in the running for best uh, best animated feature at the Academy Awards later this month. But this movie really kind of touched the heartstrings a little bit for me. I don't know if it was something that maybe it just spoke to me, but it uh, tells the story of Joe Gardner, a struggling musician who also happens to teach middle school band. But his dream is to be playing gigs every night. He plays the piano. He wants to try and, and spread his wings and, and do what his dad did and also what he believes he was meant to do. Uh, but on the faithful day that he finally maybe catches his big break, something unique happens to him. And we're thrust into a world where maybe we get a little bit of a vision of the afterlife or at least uh, right before the afterlife. And we follow Joe as he becomes sort of a mentor for personality traits uh, in the other world that are getting ready to be sent down to earth and inhabit people uh, around the around the world. You know, much like every movie that, you know, Pixar makes, you know, from WALL-E to Up to Inside Out, it is a gorgeous, well-drawn animated feature. Every scene just looks so beautiful and crisp and clear. I watched it on Disney Plus and it just pops. New York City pops when we're there. The pre-afterlife pops when we're there to see Joe kind of determine where he's going to go. But at the end of the day, the, the one thing that, that really makes this movie, much like many of the other animated films from Pixar work, is it really tells an interesting story. And that kind of goes back to how this film really kind of emotionally hit me in, in that it really tells this interesting story about maybe what we think we're meant to do, maybe what we feel like we're meant to do may not necessarily always be what we end up doing. 
and Tina Fey provides a supporting cast uh, voice work for Jamie Foxx, who plays the main character, uh, Joe Gardner. Uh, and Tina Fey is sort of the the lost soul, so to speak, that uh, has gone eons and eons without ever being sent to Earth because she doesn't believe she has a purpose on Earth until her and Joe end up going back to Earth uh, in some funny ways as they uh, try to get Joe connected back to his body with his soul. And Tina Fey does really outstanding work here, uh, much like how Amy Poehler did, one of her friends from Saturday Night Live, what uh, she did with Inside Out, which was one of my favorite films of the last decade. Um, and Soul really hits a lot of emotional notes. There are a few things that maybe, you know, you, you kind of wish they would have done a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, it's hard. I'm hard pressed to really find much to, to criticize about a film like this. Pete Docter, um, you know, we, we've seen him before. But as a director, I think that the thing that, you know, he kind of brings to the table here is sort of this understanding of how to tell a story, but also utilize the visuals to tell stories, whether it's facial expressions. You know, you may have seen a lot of his work from directing of Monsters, Inc., Up, Inside Out, and of course, uh, Soul, as well as his latest film. Uh, but I do want to mention, too, that you know, this is one of the first films that I can think of in the Disney Pixar universe that really tells the story of a person of color, uh, in this case, a black man with Joe Gardner. Um, and, and also to help out, Kemp Powers uh, is a co-director on this. Uh, Doctor uh, also is a co-writer of the screenplay with Mike Jones. But uh, Kemp Powers, you may uh, may know him a, a little bit. He's uh, He wrote One Night in Miami, which was a uh, a near Oscar contender. He also wrote Star Trek Discovery as well, the TV show on CBS All Access, which of course is now Paramount Plus. But uh, you know, this is a a really well crafted film. Like I said, there is a lot of a lot to love here, and, and not much to really critique. I am giving four stars for Soul. I do think it is a strong contender for best animated feature. Although Wolf Walkers from Apple TV Plus is also considered a favorite in that category later this month at the Academy Awards. But for Soul, it got it got to me, I have to admit. It really did, and I'm, I'm very interested to see how it does. But uh, at the end of the day, it was a, a, a great film experience for me, and I, I'm so glad that I saw it because it really touched me emotionally and, and really spoke to me, so to speak. And that's a lot of times what the best films do is they speak to you personally, and I feel like that one certainly did. Now, moving along, we stay in the animated uh, field, but this time we're going to a TV series, Central Park, which is uh, currently streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, this was one of their sort of flagship shows that they had come out last year uh, as part of their launch. And it's sort of the, you know, from the creators of, the, of Bob's Burgers, which is a really funny show on Fox that you can see uh, pretty much every Sunday during the fall. And in this case, Central Park... Uh, it's a musical series, a lot more musically inclined than Bob's Burgers even, which obviously incorporates a lot of music. Uh, but at the end of the day, it tells the story of this family, uh, the caretaker of Central Park and his family living in the uh, on the grounds. And then obviously, you know, showing the beauty of New York City and Central Park through animation. But the movie, uh, the show really centers around a uh, sort of a, a mogul, billionaire, if, whatever you want to call her. Uh, Bitsy Brandenham, uh, who's actually played by Stanley Tucci, uh, the great character actor. Um, but uh, he is uh, playing this female, Bitsy Brandenham, who's sort of a socialite billionaire who wants to buy Central Park 
and essentially turn it into, you know, their own little playground of condos and housing and things like that. So unfortunately for me, as great as some of the humor was, and it did remind me a lot of Bob's Burgers with some of the witty humor and the puns and the music was really, really well crafted and, and sung very well. Unfortunately for me, in this 10-episode run, I don't really feel like we we got any further to a resolution on what was happening because it got to a point where, you know, there was sort of a fight over what would be the fate of Central Park. But we really never got to sort of really understand what was going to eventually happen. Um, you know, obviously, there are some fun moments. Great cast. You know, David Diggs is in this. A great character actor. You can see him uh, right now on Snowpiercer, the TNT series. Uh, Josh Gad, of course, Olaf plays Olaf in the Frozen franchise. Catherine Hahn, a terrific actor. So you can see her uh, in uh, WandaVision as well on Disney Plus, as well as many things. Uh, Leslie Odom, who's actually an Oscar nominated actor for his uh, role in One Night in Miami, he's also in this uh, show. Kristen Bell, who lends her voice to uh, the Frozen franchise as well, is in this. And Universally, a very fun cast. Jokes are fun. Most of them land, I believe. Generally speaking, it's a fun show. But I think just the fact that this show really didn't tie up any loose ends, and really not even a loose end, but really a major plot point of what really was going to happen with Central Park, um, just kind of made me wonder, like, well, why did we go through this 10-episode arc and not really get, like, a finality, a resolution to everything that was going on? And then I know subsequent seasons, I know they do have second season coming out and maybe even a third at some point here in the near future. But I, I kind of was left wanting a little bit more. And for that, I just can't necessarily quite recommend uh, Central Park. I am giving it two and a half stars. I do think it's probably uh, worth listening to the music and, of course, the you know hearing the great voice cast and uh, the animation as well. But storytelling-wise, this one kind of falls flat for me. And I had a lot of high expectations uh, given the fact that it does have the ties to the Bob's Burgers franchise from Fox, which is extremely funny and maybe one of the most underrated uh, just shows on TV, just consistently funny. Central Park's music is extremely funny. I will I will give them extreme credit for that because they did have a lot of fun songs and jokes. But unfortunately, the story just kind of falls flat for me. So once again, two and a half stars there for Central Park. And now we come on to what a new segment uh, we're going to have here. Uh, I'm going to talk, uh, at least uh, try to uh, talk to everybody about free content that's out there. Obviously, I've been talking about programming and movies that have come from content that you have to pay for, whether it's HBO Max or Netflix or Disney Plus or you know Apple TV Plus or Hulu. Well, in this case, there are free options out there. Um, obviously, most people might know by now about uh, Peacock having multiple streaming tiers, whether it's from uh, their free premium, their free service, which will give you uh, a lot of good content, maybe about two-thirds or so of the programming on Peacock you can actually watch for free. Although when you're talking about series like The Office or Parks and Recreation or even Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you do have to have a subscription service, uh, which they do have a advertising service paid subscriber fee of about $5.99 or $4.99. And then they have a $9.99 service, which is ad-free uh, for movies and TV shows. So um, Peacock does offer a lot of free stuff and actually does have some interesting stuff on there. Um, but other, other ones that maybe some people might not have heard about or known about, and we'll talk about one of them tonight, which is IMDb TV. 
Um, we have Tubi, Pluto TV, Voodoo, Crackle, Roku TV, and Zumo. Uh, those are just some of the services where you can find free content. Now, obviously, when you're talking about free content, you're talking about advertising supporting. So you're not going to get commercial free experiences. And some for some people, it may be a little bit more of a, of a hindrance for you to want to watch a movie knowing that you have to pay for, you know, you have to kind of wait, you know, waste your time on commercials. But at the end of the day, if you're looking for something to cut cord, you know, cut the cord, but also give yourself something to stream, I would say these are more than suitable replacements if you can't afford Netflix or HBO Max or, you know, the Disney Plus bundle. Uh, but uh, tonight I'm going to actually look at uh, the movie Moneyball. Now, most people might not have, uh, you know, might not remember this unless you're a sports fan. Um, this movie tells the story of the Oakland Athletics, a team that was uh, sort of on the cusp of becoming a championship-level team, but unfortunately their, their good players end up becoming free agents and signing with the Yankees and the Red Sox and teams that have plenty of money to spend. And this 2011 film directed by Bennett Miller and starring Brad Pitt as Billy Bean, the Oakland A's general manager who is tasked with putting together a club that can try to compete for championships with very, very little money uh, to spend on ballplayers. Uh, this is a, a just a great kind of behind-the-scenes look at how this, you know, story came together. This is a true story, not that some things aren't fictionalized, but the writing from Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin is just spot on. You can tell that these people know baseball or at least did their research to understand the game of baseball and how it works. And a lot of this movie is is more than just about what's on the field. It's what's off the field. Obviously, Brad Pitt uh, is going through uh, sort of troubles with his you know off the field uh, life, you know, struggling to see his daughter because of a divorce and, you know, just trying to understand how he can win at sort of an unfair advantage, which essentially this is what this is, you know, where you're not spending as much money as teams like the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox or other larger market ball clubs that can just go and spend as much money as they'd like. Uh, Six-time Oscar-nominated film, including Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill. This was his first Oscar nomination in a supporting role, um, which uh, well-deserved. He played a uh, fictional a character called Peter Brand. They didn't want to. They they couldn't use the the real uh, person for this book. You know the book that turned into the film. So uh, Jonah Hill played a fictional character of a real based off of a real person. Uh, but uh, obviously the adapted screenplay from Zalian and Sorkin did get a nomination. Unfortunately, it did not take any uh, uh, anything home. And uh, I, I will say that one snub you could maybe argue that Bennett Miller could have been. Uh, someone that maybe sneaks into that best director category, but unfortunately he did not. But this movie just tells the story of Brad Pitt's wheeling and dealing as a general manager in Major League Baseball, trying his best to put together a club that not only can win, but can win in the playoffs. And after coming up so so you know coming so close, and over the years Oakland has had those kinds of runs where they're a small market team, they don't have a big payroll, and they've had very successful seasons. And this movie not only does it, you know, dick, you know, kind of talk a little bit and show the behind the scenes world as of a general manager running a struggling franchise that just doesn't have any money, but it also talk, you know, get, delves into the dynamics between uh, Brad Pitt's character of Billy Bean and Philip Seymour Hoffman as Art Howe, the manager of Oakland, who really wanted to play his guys as opposed to the guys that Billy Bean 
had signed or traded for that he had sort of envisioned as his team on the field. And you see the dynamics between the general manager and the manager going at it. And in a couple of fun scenes, we see Brad Pitt's uh, Billy Bean character trade away some of the guys so he could get certain players to start playing. Uh, this also uh, this movie also does star sort of a younger, unknown Chris Pratt uh, in one of his, uh, you know, more of a breakout role and getting to that well-known status. Um, also stars Robin Wright, who's always always gives fine work. She plays the uh, estranged ex-wife of Billy Bean. But for me, this is a movie that it's probably one of the best sports movies that we've seen, I would say, at least in the last 30 years or so. It uh, It's not always easy for baseball to translate, especially in a drama setting. We, you know, we've seen movies like Major League or Little Big League that have succeeded as comedies or just farces of the sport. But in this case, you know, Bennett Miller, who also directed Foxcatcher, about uh, John DuPont, the wrestling uh, U.S. United States wrestling uh, supporter and coach who um, actually killed one of his wrestlers. Uh, you know, Bennett Miller just has a very deft touch at taking this drama and turning it into something that you care about, whether you care about baseball or don't. I think you can kind of come away from this, you know, understanding the game a little bit better, but then realizing that it's not so different than everyday life. So. Uh, for me, four stars uh, for Moneyball as I look back. And once again, you can stream Moneyball on IMDb, Internet Movie Database TV. Uh, it is, of course, ad-supported, but uh, very rare do you see a great film like this on a free streaming service. So I definitely suggest everybody check that out. And, of course, it's baseball season, so why not maybe uh, check that out as well as we uh, kind of get into the uh, early days of the season here. But uh, I've been, this is Craig Schaup and this is an Ohioan pod from the Ohioan podcast. And this is an Ohioan weekend review. Take care and go out to the movies. All right. We're back here on the Ohioan podcast. My name is Craig Schaup. And today we have a special guest, Bob Garber, our New York city film critic is here. Bob, how are you doing? Hello. Happy Monday. Did you have a great weekend? And a lovely weekend. Thank you. Did you watch some movies at least? I mean, that must have been why you had a great weekend, right? You watched some movies? Well, actually, um, two of the movies I, I saw uh, in previous weeks, but uh, I saw uh, Voyagers this weekend. Voyagers was the one new movie I saw this weekend. All right. Well, we'll tease that a little bit here. We'll save that for the end. We'll start with The Unholy. Now, this was a Good Friday release on April 2nd. Um, sort of an interesting uh, movie to release on Good Friday. Obviously a PG-13 sort of horror film, but Bob, what did you think of The Unholy? I uh, didn't much care for it, uh, despite some uh, decent performances by Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Cricket Brown. Cricket Brown is one of the actress who plays the uh, the girl at the center of this movie. But uh, this is a movie about a disgraced reporter who... Uh, happens upon a story about a teenage girl who um, she's uh, deaf and uh, through a miracle by by Mary, uh, which uh, seems to be the Virgin Mary, uh, can can hear and talk and sing okay. all of a sudden. Uh, but it turns out that there is a uh, more malevolent malevolent force at work than. Uh, than simply the Virgin Mary bestowing blessings on the small town. Okay, so we, we get into this this interesting premise, but it's a horror movie. So where yes. where do things kind of go wrong here? Where 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 do we get the horror element? How does this kind of tie into this uh, this film? Well, basically, 
and and this is actually kind of an kind of a funny evil scheme, which I, I don't think is um, I don't think they were going for funny with this, but it's it's actually quite funny and clever. Um, it's actually uh, an evil spirit named Mary, and uh, her goal is to get people to pledge uh, through uh, through faith healing through miracles. Uh, gets people to pledge their souls to Mary, which they think is the Virgin Mary, but is is actually her. This this evil uh, demon, demon or what have you. Now, is this uh, you know does this movie compare? We've seen a lot of these uh, sort of spiritual horror thrillers over the years, and we've oh, seen sure. a, lot of, a lot of uptick maybe as well in movies like Insidious and you know Annabelle, just to name a few. But is this sort of in the same vein as those other movies where? You know, it doesn't quite go, you know, hardcore R-rated, but maybe stays in that, uh, you know, PG-13 to try to capitalize on box office. But does this bring the scares? I mean, uh, were there any uh, jump, you know, grab your seat moments or jump in your seat moments for a movie like this? Um, I mean, it depends on the person. I never got truly terrified. Um, the Annabelle movies uh, are, um, I believe they are rated R. Uh, whereas the Insidious movies usually go for a PG-13. Uh, but this one, um, I'd say, is is uh, pretty solidly a PG-13. There's, I don't know, depending on how you want to score it, there's, I think, between two and four deaths in the movie. Now, looking at a movie like this, I mean, obviously you said the performances were pretty solid. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Cricket Brown, who relatively unknown, has done a lot of short stuff. But uh, really, this is one of her first, you know, true feature starring roles. Uh, you know, did anything stand out aside from, you know, the performances? Visually, anything stand out? Special effects, you know, cinematography, anything kind of stand out other than performances? The special effects stood out in that they were really bad. Okay, yeah, were they not, uh, were they going for a B movie ish type of thing, or do you do you think they swung for the fences and just missed? No, I think I think they legitimately thought what they. Uh, I think they um, did what they could. They just couldn't put together a movie as as scary as they wanted it to be. Okay, uh, do you think something like this would have benefited maybe from more of that R rating, go all into the deep end, or did would would it not have mattered in a case like this? Maybe if they could have pulled off the violence as well as they wanted to, but since the violence they have is unconvincing, it it doesn't work. Okay. Uh, overall, just uh, your overall grade or overall impressions of the unholy? Uh, gave it a C minus, and um, for anybody who who is thinking of being outraged over over this movie, um, you know, sort of attacking faith-based people and um, blasphemous, blasphemously opening on Good Friday. Um, it's it's not it's not worth an emotion as strong as outrage. Okay, <laughs> have you heard a lot of outrage? Have people? I mean, obviously, I, I can't no, but I can tell that I can tell that it wants to get people outraged. Okay, but it was it it was specifically pushing itself as having opened on the holiest day of the year. Right. Much like we see a lot of uh, Christmas releases where we'll see some horror action or, you know, R-rated movies on Christmas. This is probably another one of those attempts to try to rile up some feathers, I guess. Yeah, but uh, 
No, there's there's a reason why we don't really do Easter horror movies. <laughs> right. All right, Bob. Well, uh, looks like maybe you should skip the unholy, but maybe something that we shouldn't skip. What? Tell us a little bit about our next film, Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal. Yes. Um, sandwiching this in between the two bad movies. Spoiler for uh, for the Voyagers <laughs> portion, but um, yeah, no, this is a tremendous film. Uh, it's nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor. Uh, I could have seen uh, Best Supporting Actress for this movie. It, it doesn't have one, but it could have been in that that race. Um, the movie stars Riz Ahmed as a drummer who's losing his hearing um, and is also a recovering addict of some kind, I would assume heroin. But, uh, but yes, it's about uh, his uh, relationship, uh, which falls apart once he starts losing his hearing. Uh, his career takes a nosedive. He goes to a rehab center um, run by a character played by Paul Racy, uh, who is nominated for Best yep. Supporting Actor. Yeah. Um, and it's in this rehab center that he, um, as Racy puts it, learns to be deaf, uh, often by hanging around with children uh, who are also learning uh, ASL at the same rate as, as he is. But uh, tremendous film. Um, Ahmed's journey is is heartbreaking um, as his uh, relationship with his girlfriend, played by Olivia Cook. Uh, Olivia Cook is the one uh, I could see competing for Best Supporting Actress. Okay. Um, but that goes through a lot of turmoil, and he goes through a lot of turmoil as he uh, tries to get a an operation to uh, cure, uh, which I understand is not the term you should use for regaining hearing, but he tries to cure his deafness. Uh, yes. Yes, to his point of view, he's trying to cure his deafness. Okay, so you know, with with Riz Ahmed, you know, I, I know a lot of people. He's probably he always brings it. He's probably one of those actors that a lot of people, you know, they know when they see him. Hey, I know that guy, but I might not know his name. But I've seen him in this, 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 and this, and they can list off a laundry list of movies or TV series. Um, I think I really, really saw him and really thought of him as a as a major player in the future of acting in the Night of the HBO series. Um, yes. What, what for me it was uh, for me it was Nightcrawler, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Right, right, yeah. What about this movie? You know, he this is his real opportunity to sort of break out and be that not just a leading man in a film, but also prove that he's got sort of those acting chops that can get him an Oscar nomination. Which, of course, as you said, he did get nominated. Um, but you know, what was sort of what what about this performance really stood out with Riz Ahmed? I mean, just his, his dedication, he, um, you know, clearly transformed his look into this guy who has spent his whole life in the heavy metal scene, and then he changes it again once he, once he leaves that life behind. Uh, and he's fully just dedicated. There was, there was no doubt in my mind that he could carry a movie like this. Um, there was, there was some doubt that a movie about a drummer could, uh, about a heavy metal drummer could could appeal to me because I'm not a big fan of either that music genre or that instrument. But uh, no, he, he pulls it off. It's fine. Sure. Well, it wasn't long ago that we had the movie Whiplash. Um, obviously, sort of. That's, a you know, that's the only other drummer movie I can think of that's that's really good. 
Right, right. So, but sort of a different genre as far as musically what it what it is. But uh, it, it, maybe when it comes to musicians, I guess drummers are the thing to do now. It used to be maybe guitarists and singers, but it looks like drummers are starting to get their uh, their play here with the, with Hollywood. Yeah, I mean there will always be a place for singers. Uh, not so sure about guitarists. But, What's the, uh, you know, you, you said that uh, obviously nominated for six Oscars. You know, this is one of those actors, actors types of movies. Uh, Paul Racy, a veteran actor, you know, gets an opportunity to shine here. But, uh, you know, Olivia Cook, I, I remember um, seeing her in Ready Player One. I thought she had just this good screen presence. Obviously, you know, I, I, lo- I loved her in Thoroughbreds as well a few years ago. But that's, uh, I was trying to come up with the name of that movie. Yeah, yeah. Really, a sort of an understated, underrated kind of drama, but very interesting. And she she gives a really a dry but really intense performance in that film. Uh, what what about her? Maybe you know, did you like about her in this film? And you know, were you sort of surprised that she didn't get that Oscar nomination, given the fact that this movie did really you know seem to touch a lot of strings here with Oscar voters? Well, I hadn't seen this movie before the Oscar nominations came out, so I can't say I was surprised when she wasn't nominated. Um, I'll say I was a bit surprised to see Paul Racy's name just because, um, you know, everybody's been talking about Riz Ahmed and I didn't even know that an actor by that name was in this movie. But, um, but that uh, category has been so inconsistent. We've talked in the past about how uh, Glenn Close is up for both an Oscar and a, uh, and a Razzie for her performance in Hillbilly (laughs) Elegy. Uh, so that that whole category is a mess, but uh, Olivia Cook could have been in here very easily um, and not been out of place. Sure. Okay. Um, ultimately, Bob, it sounds like you really enjoyed this movie. Uh, does it earn the hype? What was your final grade for this film? Uh, my grade for this movie would be an A minus. All right. Was, perfect. was very pleased with it. Um, definitely deserves the best picture nomination. Um, deserves its its place in the actor and supporting actor races. Absolutely. All right, Bob. Well, it's, uh, you know, unfortunately, maybe we got to end on a sad note. Um, Voyagers is a not, not sad, not sad, just uh, just a real punching bag of a movie. <laughs> All right. Voyagers. So, so now we have the, uh, the one of the latest releases here in, in theaters came out on Friday. Voyagers. Uh, don't really know much about this other than, you know, I see Colin Farrell, Ty Sheridan, Neil Berger directs. Speaking of, speaking of Ready Player One. Yeah, speaking of Ready Player One, Ty Sheridan. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Voyagers. What's what's this movie about, and why didn't you like it? Okay, well, Voyagers, and, and everybody's calling it this, and I'm, I swear I'm not stealing from any particular critic, even though, even though everybody's kind of making this comparison, but it's basically uh, Lord of the Flies in space. Okay. Uh, it's got <laughs> a group of teenagers that have been to go on a one-way mission uh, to another planet uh, in order to save Earth. I'm not sure how exactly they plan to save Earth um, 86 years in the future. I guess they'll their plan is to set up the other end of a teleporter or something. They, they're not very clear about that. But, uh, yeah, so uh, these kids are bred to go on this mission that will conclude in 86 years. Um they spend the first, let's say, 16 years of their lives training, and then they, then they get shot up into space. Colin Farrell is the one and only adult in charge, which, first of all, is a mistake. <laughs> there should be there should be more adults watching these kids. 
Yeah. Uh, but uh, they soon find themselves uh, without an adult at all, and they kind of turn on each other as they uh, as they decide to take over the the mission for themselves. Um, they have have been drinking a steady diet of a hormone suppressant, okay, which uh, they decide to stop taking, and their then their hormones run wild, and that causes them to to turn on each other. Well, it, did anything stand out? I mean, obviously, when you're talking about going into space or you're talking about a young cast of, of, of talented young actors or even veterans like Colin Farrell, I mean, does anything stand out here, the you know, visual effects? I mean, are, is, there, is, it, does it, is it at least good to look at? I mean, something. Give me something, Bob. There's some, there's some I guess, some decent outer space stuff. Uh, the, um, the thing I noticed most about the film visually is uh, that they're always – running down what seems to be the same corridor. Um, if you've ever seen the, uh, I guess I would compare it to the Big Bang Theory and how they constantly uh, go through that same set as they walk up the stairs. Okay. Yeah, uh, they, and they pretend that it's different floors even though it isn't. Right. But uh, I'd like to think that it's kind of the same thing here as if they just built the one corridor and they filmed themselves going walking down it over and over again from different angles to try to make it look like it's different corridors to make the spaceship look like it's bigger than it is. Okay. Well, I know another, another thing that you had mentioned about uh, maybe a little bit of a disappointment was the box office for this film. Obviously, you know, we had a little bit of a, of a shot in the leg here last, last week with Kong, uh, with Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, that took a big nosedive, about 58% return on its box office from week weekend one. Yeah, but that was just because its its first weekend box office was so huge, and because it was a holiday weekend. Right, right, right. So in call in Godzilla versus Kong still won the box office last week with around thirteen million dollars. Um, now Voyagers though sort of opened in, in fifth place. Office. Opens fifth in place. fifth it place. The, it was the sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, I, you know, opens in fifth place behind Nobody, The Unholy, which of course we just talked about, and Raya and the Last Dragon, which has been out now for a, a little while. So. Uh, obviously has to be a little bit disappointing, but were you surprised that the, a movie like this coming out in the, in the midst of a pandemic with some other options in the theater, are you, were you surprised that this finished fifth? I am surprised that it finished fifth. Yeah, I thought, it, I thought it would at least outdo the unholy. I thought it would be the number two movie this week. I didn't think right. it would be in its, in its first weekend it would open in fifth. Yeah, very big disappointment. Uh, does that say more about how maybe bad the movie is or – maybe just how tentative people are about going to, to movies right now. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't marketed very well. Um, I wouldn't even say it has so much to do with the fact that it's a bad movie. Um, Cause I'm surprised that they would, that people would stay uh, so far away from this movie um, regardless of its quality, just because it's new. Sure. Okay. Um, at the end of the day, uh, any final grade for Neil Berger's Voyagers? Uh, C minus. Um, one thing I have um, not touched on, uh, probably the most memorable scene in the movie, uh, unfortunately, is the scene of sexual assault. Okay. Uh, so that's um, maybe another reason to, to stay away from it. It's, um, it's on the tamer end of the sexual assault spectrum, but it's still um, very uncomfortable to watch. Okay. All right, Bob. Well, uh, 
what are you what are you seeing here this week? Is, do you hope to maybe rebound after a couple of uh, a couple of bombs? Uh, I don't see things picking up this week. Uh, there is uh, one horror movie opening. It's called In the Earth. Uh, that will be the new movie. Um, for all I know, it's going to open in an even lower spot than Voyagers. Voyagers might be my next uh, might be my next print review. Okay. Um, and I will see at least one uh, Best Picture nominated movie, either Mank or The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Uh, those are the two I have yet to see, and we'll we'll talk about that next week. All right, fantastic. Well, Bob, as always, we definitely appreciate your time. Uh, hopefully, you have a better time at the movies this week. And uh, hopefully all of you listening at home or watching have a better time at the movies. We will see you guys next week for the Ohioan Podcast. This is Craig Shop. We'll see you Thank later. Thank you very much for having me. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.